Hi everyone and welcome to our Med Informatics podcast. I am Hala Malik. And I am Sama Abdel Karim. So we'll begin with a small introduction of ourselves. A few things about me is that I love to stay active and play soccer in my free time. And I like to stay updated on current advancements that are taking place all over the world. In my spare time, I enjoy reading, playing sports, and researching new advancements in medicine. In our podcast, we will explore various medical areas and discuss medical advancements that are going on in the field. To start off, in today's episode, we will be discussing surgery medicine and applying our knowledge to the real world to evaluate emerging surgical treatments. While we may think of the job of a surgeon to simply involve incisions and stitches, the truth is that there there is certainly a lot more complexity to the life of a surgeon than we may consider. Don't you think, Salma? Yes, of course. As a surgeon, you have to do all sorts of stuff like performing operations by cutting open a patient's body to repair, remove or replace the diseased or damaged part, as well as operating, you'll carry out ward rounds and outpatient clinics, and will take on a range of administrative duties and teaching responsibilities. But to understand what a surgeon specifically does, we must break it down into the type of surgeons there are. We have compiled a list of five types of surgeons you may have heard of before. So the first one we're going to be talking about is a general surgeon. So a general surgeon establishes diagnosis and provides preoperative, operative, and postoperative care. Responsible for the comprehensive management of trauma victims and critically ill patients, the common conditions addressed would be related to the head and neck, breast, skin, soft tissues, and may also address traumatic injuries. Next, we have a neurosurgeon. So a neurosurgeon works with emerging technologies like computer-based neuronavigation, gene therapy, and endovascular techniques. Also handles surgical emergencies such as bleeding within the brain and sudden compression of the spinal cord. The common conditions addressed would include brain tumors, head injuries, and disorders affecting the spine, including tumors, fractures, and spinal deformities. Next, we have obstetrician and gynecologist. So issues related to pregnancy, fertility, menstruation, and menopause, family planning, sexually transmitted diseases, and infections. So common subspecialties would include pelviscopy, infectious disease, maternal fetal medicine, um, pregnancies and assist in performing fatal procedures, and gynecology, so cancer that affects the female reproductive system. Next, we have a plastic surgeon, so conducts surgical procedures that involve transfer of skin flaps, transplantation of tissues, and replantation of structures, manages complex wounds, and leverages knowledge in surgical design, surgical diagnosis, and surgical and artistic anatomy. Uh, The common conditions addressed would include uh, nose reshaping, breast augmentation for a cosmetic procedure, or falling mastectomy, um, reconstructive surgery for individuals who have sustained burns, scars, or trauma to the face, hands, or lower limbs, and removal of excessive skin or body fats. And the last one, we have critical care surgeon, so conducts trauma evaluations, performs exploratory surgeries. Uh, chest walls, tabulations, uh, and bronchoscopies, as well as um, non-operative techniques, uh, coordinates patient's care with other providers. The common conditions addressed would include acute medical conditions, traumatic brain injury, burns, severe fall injuries, and critical illnesses complications. Wow, that sure does not sound easy. How do you even get to the point of specializing in these aspects of surgery? 
So to become a surgeon, the years it takes really depends on where you choose to study. So for example, future physicians in Canada must complete an undergraduate, which is usually three to four years before enrolling in medical school, which is another four years, as well as two to five years of residency. Um, this being said, for example, in Germany, you go straight into med school, which is six years. And after hopefully passing your doctor's license, you are ready to become a surgeon. Well, that was definitely a lot of information I just threw at you. Yes, and even with all the amount of training that surgeons have to go through, many still struggle to alleviate some of the anxiety that patients experience heading into a surgery. So, for example, patients may be afraid of surgery due to the possibility of losing control over the body or the fear of not waking up or knowing that things may go wrong. Uh, the surgery may also interfere with their normal life and cause complications. Yes, absolutely. And this is why it is important for a surgeon to attain specific qualities such as leadership. So as a doctor, you'll be leading care teams, a department, or even an entire practice of your own. So to ensure everyone is giving their best, it is important that you're able to give your team members the support and motivation they need to thrive. You also need to have clear communication. Uh, communication is the core of all workplaces. Physicians need to be able to effectively communicate with their patients and families and explain the situation to them in a way that they can understand um, third, we have empathy. Empathy is one of the key components of emotional intelligence. Having the ability to understand what others are feeling is one of the critical soft skills for doctors. It is not only important to feel empathetic towards your colleagues or your patients and their family, it's equally important to communicate it. So taking the time to listen to people's concerns and validating their perspective can go a long way in earning their trust and developing a long-term relationship. We also have strong work ethic. So your work ethic is a set of values that you follow no matter what the circumstances. So these include punctuality, professionalism, positive attitude, time management, and more. Healthcare is a demanding field. The hours are long and no two days are the same. Therefore, a strong work ethic can go a long way in setting the expectations right and nourishing the future of your team and the care that you provide. Yes, uh, these are definitely really important points. And I also think it is important that the surgeon expands his knowledge and is aware of the surgical techniques. So it is important that the surgeon is well informed about different types of surgical techniques, uh, because depending on the type of surgery, there are different surgery methods that may be done. For example, a surgeon may choose to perform an open surgery, which involves cutting of skin and tissues so that the surgeon has a full view of the structures or organs involved or it may involve a minimally invasive surgery in which a surgeon does not need a large incision. So it is essential for the health of a patient that a surgeon is well informed in all types of surgery techniques. Anatomy is also something that many people may overlook, but is very important uh, because these findings, these findings are very important to the patient and other medical professionals. Not only is it important in surgery, but it also has value for anyone who performs an invasive procedure on the patient or perform the physical examination of the patient. Research would, research would also allow surgeons to question, evaluate, and test different approaches objectively and be more involved in advancing their discipline. By doing so, it allows them to think about situations more critically. The last thing, which I believe is very important, is that the surgeon knows the limits of their competence. Surgeons should be fully aware of both their abilities and limitations. Meaning in a case of uncertainty, they should not be afraid to ask for help and seek continuous self-improvement. Hmm. But in many cases, I heard things may not go to plan and important surgeries may even have to be delayed sometimes. How would a surgeon deal with this situation in that case? 
Is there a specific technique? Yes, of course. Uh, there are many unexpected and difficult scenarios in surgery, actually, in which case the surgeon would have to use the spike method to deliver the bad news. For example, as you mentioned, an important operation may have to be delayed. To communicate this information, the surgeon will often use a simple method which consists of uh, setting up where the surgeon sits and makes eye contact with the patient and establishes a relationship between the patient and their family. Next is perception. So the surgeon gathers the patient's understanding of the situation and identifies misconceptions the patient has about the medical problem. After that, the surgeon should communicate the information. So some patients may want to hear everything about their treatment options. And because of that, it is important that a surgeon clarifies what the patient wants to hear. This also ties in with knowledge, which involves providing the patients with medical facts and using language that is clear and easy to understand, which is also spoken slowly. The surgeon should also be aware of the patient's emotions, which involves being empathetic to allow patients to share their feelings and develop a doctor-patient relationship. And lastly is, uh, lastly is strategy, which is having a plan uh, to reduce the patient's anxiety and uncertainty about the issue, including answering any of the patient's questions. Wow, that is very interesting. It is never easy to deliver bad news, and that is why the spike method is extremely important to follow. There's also something else that is important to consider, and I think you'll agree on this and its efficiency. With surgeons especially, it is always important to think, how can we provide the most effective and optimal treatment to a patient? Yes, I definitely agree, and I think that's where communication and teamwork come in. Uh, so communication involves explaining problems that are normally very complex in a way that most patients could understand, which could be related to the, the mechanism of a disease or even the way that a treatment would work. Um, it also involves educating patients effectively on good and bad health behaviors, such as the benefits of quitting smoking or having a well-balanced diet, and also talking to different members of the health of the healthcare team professionally and providing all the information. For them to do their job in managing a patient or any other related health issue. It also involves being able to optimize consultations where communication with the patient may be difficult, such as when patients are angry or withdrawn. The reason why I'm talking about this is because communication is really important for healthcare providers to provide optimal patient healthcare, save on costs, and increase day-to-day -day efficiency. Meanwhile, patients may also benefit from increased access to their medical histories, which reduces chances of medical errors. Oh, so that's why surgeons frequently do MDTs. Uh, I've heard of MDTs. Aren't they the meetings surgeons conduct to discuss patients' needs and treatments? Yes, you're on the right path, but there's so much more to it. MDT is an abbreviation of multidisciplinary team. The multidisciplinary teams are the mechanism for organizing and coordinating health care services to meet the needs of individuals with complex care needs. The team brings together the expertise and skills of different professionals to assess, plan, and manage care jointly. So through uh, accessing a range of health, social care, and other community services, MDTs focus on keeping people well and independent, delivering the right care at home or in the community to prevent unnecessary hospital care. An MDT is very important when working with cancer patients. For example, a patient with bowel cancer would have a team of clinical nurses, specialists, surgeons, radiologists, oncologists, 
pathologists and gastroenterologists all working together to develop, to deliver and develop the best treatments and health care. Speaking of effective treatment, while I was reading about surgical advancements, I came across something very interesting, and I'm not sure if you heard about this, but it's known as robotic surgery. It's actually been recently implemented in various surgical techniques and is considered to be an essential part for the future of surgery medicine. No, I actually haven't heard much about it, but tell me more. It seems very interesting. So basically, robotic surgery allows doctors to perform complex procedures with more precision and control than is possible with conventional techniques. It's usually associated with minimally invasive surgery, which are procedures performed through tiny incisions. It could, however, also be used in certain open surgical procedures. The most used clinical robotic surgical system includes a camera arm and mechanical arms with surgical instruments attached to the robot. The surgeon is often seated at a computer console near the operating table from where he controls the movements of the robot. The surgeon also leads other team members who assist during the operation. And of course, this method has a lot of advantages for the patient, such as more precision in surgery. Often the, sur the surgeon needs to operate near sensitive organs and nerves. The goal of surgery is to remove the, the, the goal of the surgery is to remove the abnormality without affecting surrounding health structures. The small size of the robotic instruments make this easier to accomplish. There's also less pain and less risk of infection as the surgeon makes tiny incisions rather than large ones, lowering the risk of infection. There's also earlier discharge from the hospital. Generally, patients can go home earlier following a robotic surgery sometimes even the next day, due to the tiny incisions, incisions, which often heal quickly. There's also less scarring and shorter recovery period involved. Uh, the smaller incisions, again, also mean that the recovery period is shorter, lasting a little as few days as incisions heal faster. Besides the patient, I feel like this would bring massive change to the workplace and the surgical procedures, right? Yes, of course. With robotic surgery, many of the common tasks of surgeons would change. With that said, it could benefit surgeons by providing them with a better visual field. As the surgeon has a superior view of the operating area and the high-definition camera uh, provides a magnified detailed view of the affected area, it would also give them easier access to often hard-to-reach areas. For example, the precision of the robot allows the surgeon to access hard-to-reach tissues or organs, meaning that more conditions can be treated. treated. Even though I know you might be mind blown by all of this, Salma, I have to say, however, that robotic surgery appears to not be as helpful as it may seem. As I was reading the article published in the, in the Annals of Internal Medicine, comparing rob robot-assisted surgery with open surgery, it was found that when both were performed, robotic surgeries demonstrated no obvious benefits. The analysis performed 50 studies covering 4,898 patients and found that the majority showed no difference in long-term outcomes between robotic surgery and other formats of surgery. Of the 39 that reported incidents of complications, four, which is 10%, showed fewer complications with robot-assisted surgery. Really? Okay, I definitely didn't expect that. But then is robotic surgery really important in the treatment of diseases? And do we really need it? Yeah, I was actually wondering about that too, and I think to best answer these questions, it would be best to consider some of the possible disadvantages. So for the patients, one disadvantage of robotic surgery, which is the most common one, is its expensive technology. Being expensive means that it, that it isn't as accessible to low-income families. So with the increase of prevalence of robotic surgery and less conventional surgery, 
some patients may be unable to get the required medical care, which would lead to an increase of complications and more long-term consequences, which could have irreversible effects. For the surgeons in the workplace, robotic surgery has the potential to negatively impact teamwork in the operating room because the surgeon is physically separated from the patient and the rest of the team. As the surgeon cannot see what the team members are doing behind his back, it becomes more difficult to build a shared understanding of what's happening in the room. Without this essential aspect in surgery, more confusion would become more common and less problem-solving methods would be employed. And without that, of course, there would be greater stress and anxiety in the operating room, which may result in more errors and greater uncertainties in the procedure. But wouldn't the robot be able to take care of all the problem solving? Um, to some extent, yes, but the surgeons cannot entirely, entirely rely on the robot. For example, the robot is controlled by a surgeon and can malfunction at any given instant. instant. In fact, the FDA received more than 8,000 reports of robotic surgery malfunctions during a 14-year period. In this situation, it would be vital for the surgeons present in the room to be able to quickly and effectively communicate with each other and come up with, with strategies to minimize adverse effects and ensure high-quality patient care. Exploring this point a bit further, a study from the University of Texas reported that surgeons described the physical separation of the surgeon from the rest of the team and lack of visual contact to have made it harder for the team to hear the surgeon's oral instruction, instructions. Consequently, it has been suggested that the team needs to listen more carefully, which again implies the need for a motivated, for a motivated team. A consequence of this, however, may be a further increase in operation duration. As an, as an observational study of 160 surgical procedures found, communication failure to be a significant predictor of deviation and expected length of the operation. It would be very interesting, however, if we could find ways to minimize some of these disadvantages. And maybe that would allow robotic surgery to become an easier and more effective treatment method in the future. And who knows, we may, sometime, we may someday be operated by a robotic surgeon. How cool would that be? <laughs> yes, I'm definitely looking forward to that. That was so interesting. I'm definitely going to look more into robotic surgery. You know, when you mentioned this somewhat new topic, it reminded me of the time I visited a hospital in the USA. And it looked like they were using some type of 3D, 3D printing. How cool is that? 3D printing? But how would you even use that in surgery? Three-dimensional printing, 3D, is based on an additive technology in which layers of materials are gradually placed to create 3D, 3D objects. So 3D printing can be used to plan surgeries, design tools specific to an upcoming surgery, and that particular patient's anatomy, and even to print some of the parts used to replace defective ones in the body. Wait, but can't you just use the caliber models? The gold standard for training and planning in difficult surgery cases has traditionally been through the use of cadaver models. While cadavers may have excellent anatomic and physical features, they aren't always readily accessible. So more importantly, they lack patient-specific details that are very helpful for surgeons. Printing a three-dimensional replica based on the imaging information from an individual patient is like working with a mirror image of that person. It can be highly detailed and fairly exact. Oh, interesting. But I still don't really understand how exactly the surgeon implements 3D printing. Wouldn't it be a bit of a complicated procedure? Of course. So let me give you a little bit of a scenario. Let's say someone came in for a knee replacement. The first couple of questions they would have in mind is if it will hurt, is the procedure complicated, and so on. 
Every patient's body is unique, and even the best surgeons do a bit of educated guessing to try and place a new knee as perfectly as possible. If the placement is even a bit off, there could be extra pain and stiffness, and it could take longer to recover. But what if, before your operation, your surgeon could make an exact replica of the parts of your knee? That's your knee as measured by your MRI and CT scan. Then, what if the surgeon could use it to plan the operation in advance and ensure precise placement of the new parts, which in turn means you'd have less pain, a speedy recovery, and a new knee that is just as good as your original. Better, actually. Wow, that's actually really interesting. Usually with new advancements, there are always advantages and disadvantages, like in robotic surgery, that you have to always keep in mind. Is that the case with 3D printing too? Yes, so let's start with the pros. So one of the pros is flexible design. 3D printing allows for the design and print of more complex design than traditional manufacturing processes. More traditional processes have design restrictions, which no longer apply with the use of 3D printing. Next, we have rapid prototyping. So 3D printing can manufacture parts within hours, which speeds up with the prototyping process. This allows for each stage to complete faster. When compared to machining prototypes, 3D printing is inexpensive and quicker, as creating parts as the part can be finished in hours, allowing for each design modification to, com to be completed at a much more efficient rate. Next, we have print-on-demand. Print-on-demand is another advantage, as it doesn't need a lot of space to stock inventory, unlike traditional manufacturer processes. This saves space and costs, um, as there's no need to print in bulk unless required. The 3D design files are all stored in a virtual library as they are printed using a 3D model as either ACAD or STL file. This means that they can be located and printed when needed. Edits to design can be made at very low cost by editing individual files without wastage of out-of-date inventory and investing in tools. Next, we have strong and lightweight parts. The main 3D printing material used is plastic, although some metals can be used for 3D printing. However, plastic offer advantages as they are lighter than their metal equivalents. This is particularly important in industries such as automotive and aerospace, where lightweighting is an issue and can deliver greater fuel efficiency. Also, parts can be created from tailored materials to provide specific properties such as heat resistance, higher strength, or water repellency. Okay, I definitely did not expect that. It almost feels like the perfect way to, to replace damaged organs. It sure does sound amazing, but don't forget, as with robotic surgery, there are unfortunately some disadvantages associated with this technology. So one of them would be limited materials. While 3D printing can create items in a selection of plastics and metals, the available selection of raw materials is not exhaustive. So this is due to the fact that not all metals or plastics can be temperature controlled enough to allow 3D printing. In addition, many of these printable materials cannot be recycled and very few are food safe. Next, we have design inaccuracies. Another potential problem with 3D printing is directly related to the type of machine or processes used, with some printers having lower tolerances, meaning the final parts may differ from the original design. This can be fixed in post-processing, but it must be considered that this is will further increase the time and cost of production. We also have reduction in manufacturing jobs. Another of the disadvantages of 3D technology is the potential reduction in human labor, since most of the production is automated and done by printers. 
However, many third world countries rely on low-skilled jobs to keep their economies running, and this technology could put these manufacturing jobs at risk by cutting out the need for production abroad. I wonder if there's like a way to minimize this, like uh, these disadvantages though, for example, by limiting costs to new designs and reduce tooling costs. Maybe even involve a, a greater group of experienced professionals to serve in the constant improvement of this technology, which would also open up more job options. Yes, for sure. But you know, this isn't even the mind blowing thing about 3D printing. What I found so amazing was how it's even implemented in epidemiology and mitigating the spread of COVID-19. For example, it was used 3D print nasperingeal swabs and test kits for collecting samples for COVID-19 testing. Along with 3D printing, navigate airflow, isolation chambers, and mobile wards to quarantine patients, door openers, button pushers, wristbands to carry sanitizers, etc. were also 3D printed. These aid in reducing the contact from a contaminated surface. Since it is capable of rapid prototyping, it provided to be very effective during the pandemic. Yes, I definitely think their benefits are understated. And I think with more research and experiments, you may even discover more about their potential uses in the healthcare industry, which can redesign healthcare completely. Anyways, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you were able to learn more about surgery medicine and the associated technological advancements. See you in the next episode.